Greetings and welcome to another edition of AUHSD Future Talks. I'm your host, Michael Matsuda, the superintendent of the Anaheim Union High School District. And as our 7,000 plus uh, listeners know that this show is all about the future of education, the future of jobs and work, and the challenges ahead for our, our young people. We've been very blessed to have so many experts across the full spectrum of education from uh, higher ed to our business and nonprofit partners, uh, to think tank people, and even internally, we have so many amazing people. One of them is Dr. Renee Bryant. Dr. Bryant, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here with you, Superintendent Matsuda. And Dr. Bryant is the Director of Plurilingual Services. And I want to start with that term because it's uh, we were talking about how uh, EL has morphed and now it's uh, plurilingual. What is the thinking behind that? Right. So we used to have maybe more so of a deficit-based terminology for describing our scholars who had multiple languages. And so way back in the day, it was limited English proficient. Then it morphed to English language learners. Then it became English learners, then emergent bilinguals, multilingual learners. And really right now, we're looking at plurilingualism. And this is an assets-based term that really recognizes the fact that we don't stay in one language. So whereas multilingualism kind of silos language, like maybe you speak German, you speak Spanish, you speak speak Arabic, you speak Vietnamese, you speak English, uh, and you silo those, and that's multilingualism. Plurilingualism refers to the fact that we go in and out of languages all the time, and we hear that all around us. So it honors the translanguaging that happens, and also the cultures and context in which language occurs. So that is the term that we're using, plurilingualism, and that integration of languages and culture. You know, I think that's a very sort of global concept, right? Um and it's also very authentic because it describes the assets uh, that many of our kids are bringing uh, to our schools and our communities. We usually start, as you know, uh, Renee, we usually start the show about who you are and what your drivers are. Can you share with the audience a little bit about how you became to be director of plurilingual services? Right. So I'll start way back. So I actually wasn't, I'm not from California, actually. I was born in Indiana, lived in Indiana and Michigan before moving to California at the age of five. And um, didn't have a typical childhood, had some challenges, definitely, and saw public education as a safe haven for me. That was um, the safe place for me, public education. Every time I went to a new school, which I went to a new school every year from the time I was in kindergarten to sixth grade, it was those public educators that always welcomed from the secretary to the principal to the teacher that always welcomed my mom and myself. So that really formed me. And I'm very lucky that in spite of the challenges of my childhood and because of public education, I actually excelled academically. And um, and I, so much so that I did want to go to college. And my parents, uh, knowing that I was the first person, you know, in the family to go to college, they sat me down and they kind of explained to me that they weren't going to be able to pay for me to go to college uh, with the salaries being what they were. They were, you know, some 
you know, blue collar workers. They both work for the state of California and they weren't going to be able to afford it. So they told me you're going to have to find a way to pay for it yourself. So I actually enrolled in ROP cosmetology school while I was a junior in high school. And just in case I was not going to be able to pay for college, I'd be able to uh, supplement, you know, and pay for it, hopefully with that. So I was fortunate, though, I had amazing high school teachers who wrote letters of recommendation for me, and I still continue to excel academically. So I was able to go on full ride scholarship through the Riverside Scholars Foundation Scholarship Program, uh, which started me out at Riverside Community College and then transferred me to UC Riverside. And, you know, originally I wanted to attend CBU, which is California Baptist University, and become a missionary teaching ESL. So arriving to UC Riverside, it was actually a Spanish major uh, that included Latin American studies uh, with a minor in ethnic studies. And what I learned in my Latin American studies kind of flipped my K-12 education on its head. And after reading Edward Galliano's Open Veins of Latin America and other books, um, I changed my major to an inter interdisciplinary degree. And I graduated with a degree in the ethnic study of women's history. And uh, my stepdad said to me, you're going to be a teacher, right? I said, yes, of course. So then I took three years and substitute taught uh, 12th grades, kindergarten, all the way from kindergarten to 12th grade and worked a second job in the service industry. I went back and earned my bilingual teaching credential through the title seven grant for bilingual teachers at UCR, got a master's degree in educational administration from UC Riverside, and finally in 2017 earned my doctorate in organizational leadership from the University of Laverne. And uh, during the years, you know, through my um, teacher credential, my master's degree, I worked as an elementary school teacher, bilingual transitional before Prop 227, after Prop 227, a sheltered English immersion as an elementary school teacher, a bits of coach, a middle school teacher, avid Excel teacher, Title III coordinator at the site, and then coordinator and director for Westminster School District. And now I'm happily serving as your director of plural lingual services. Wow, that's a mouthful. Amazing, it is. Uh, amazing journey, uh, Renee. And how would you uh, characterize your personal drivers? And um, you know, we talk about this uh, the importance of personal matching professional organizational drivers. Right. Yes. So, so important. Um, I'm definitely, as I mentioned before, an example of the power of public education to transform lives and trajectories. Uh, my drivers have always been to serve and definitely where the need is the greatest. So my personal and my professional mission is to use that education that I have and the privilege that I have to make a positive difference in the lives of our scholars, our staff, our families, our community, uh, by working dil diligently to create that equity and opportunity, access and success for them. So our district, as you know, is uh, transforming public education by hopefully doing a much better job of aligning our drivers with the world beyond college, you know, this world of careers and this little thing called life and being able to navigate life. And I think it's resonating with our all of our 90 plus partners and our parents and certainly our students. And we've been able to develop a, uh, a new framework for this called the Career Preparedness Systems Framework. Um, I know we've spent some time in previous shows talking about that, so we don't so much have to go into it. But 
One of the most important pieces, as you know, is the development of student voice and purpose. How does that connect with your world of, uh, you know, advocating for plurilingualism? Right. So uh, when I really think about plurilingualism and the three big, what I call them, rocks of this department, um, I definitely see it in the three drivers of the career preparedness systems framework of the technical skills, the soft skills, youth voice and purpose. And you can see the technical skills of plurilingualism is actually learning the language and advancing those language skills, such as learning technical industry related uh, vocabulary. So important. And the soft skills are found in the that communication, collaboration, creativity, critical thinking, and compassion, those five C's um, that we use in learning a new language or advancing the language that you already have as a heritage language, um, as well as that emotional intelligence <laughs> exercise when navigating in another language. And finally, um, the youth voice and purpose is evident in our AUHSD talks, our soapbox speeches, the capstone presentations conducted in heritage languages, like at Savannah. You know, when I've been there and sitting on those panels and listening to our uh, global leadership and language academy students, our GLLA students are in Spanish dual language immersion, and they have done their capstone in Spanish, and they are answering questions about their journey in Spanish. So those are all examples of how we see plurilingualism specifically connected to the CPSF. You know, as someone who oversees our world language um, programs, and, you know, there's a lot of teachers, a lot of languages in our program. How do you uh, frame the CPSF in ways that they get it, that they sort of make connections, you know, from a traditional uh, teaching of languages to this, what you said, more applied uh, mastery of, of different languages? Right. That's really important, not only for our teachers, but really for our scholars, because sometimes you know, you learn content isolation and it's not as meaningful to you. So like our adult learners want to know that what they're learning is immediately applicable and there's reason for it. Our scholars are the same way. So being able to emphasize to our staff, our teachers, that the more meaning that our students can find and um, applicability um for the language, the more they're going to connect with it and want to use it. So this idea of learning this technical vocabulary and using it and practicing it, knowing that being bilingual or plurilingual now is going to help you not only get a job and maybe advance over someone else, maybe help you advance over someone for scholarships, um, but also it's going to help you in that job, make some more money. So we know in New York, people that who are Latinx, there was a study of Latinx workers and those who actually were plurilingual made on the average 15,000 more than those who were not. So we know there's also an economic value to being plurilingual. And that was evident in my own life, you know, in getting a scholarship, it helped that I was plurilingual and getting accepted, you know, getting that uh, accepted to RCC UCR, that scholars foundation pathway, it helped that I was bilingual plurilingual, and also getting my first teaching job. I had a B-clad, had a bilingual teaching credential, and that helped me. That was considered the Cadillac of credentials back at that time. So 
all of these things help um, to maybe put you one step over someone else. And we are in a global economy. So that means we are competing globally. And we know other countries emphasize plurilingualism. And we want our scholars to be just as competitive and successful. Yeah, it just it just makes sense. I mean, definitely with our AIM program, uh, Kaiser, for example, uh, they really appreciate the fact that we are pushing out bilingual uh, scholars, bilingual students to them as, as AIM interns. And um, I'm just, we all hope that uh, more of our success, because I know we lead Orange County in the seal of, uh, the state seal of bilingualism. So it's, uh, I just hope that it, you know, it, it catches on better because uh, it's been a little frustrating in that higher ed doesn't uh, pay as much attention to that as uh, as an asset as maybe uh, our our business partners. Do you think that um, higher ed will begin to take a more serious look at the students coming out with the state seal? I do, and I already see evidence of that. So we know our partners at Cal State Fullerton, specifically Dr. Ferran Rodriguez-Vaz, Dr. Natalie Tran, they're working really hard to make sure that, that the pathway that we've created that goes all the way from Anaheim Elementary to then AUHSD with our uh, dual language immersion, that that can continue on at Cal State Fullerton. So they are already developing courses where the content is in that target language so that they are learning, you know, history and science and math, continuing it at that, you know, uh, 13 through 16 level in the target language. So definitely. And I know that they are also working on another recognition for that level to make sure we're recognizing scholars for their ability to comprehend, to communicate, um, to collaborate, to listen, speak, all those things, those four domains in that target language at that level. So it's one thing we often hear parents that say, oh, we don't need dual language immersion after sixth grade. But in actuality, you wouldn't say that about English. Oh, my student doesn't need to stop reading English at sixth grade. You want to be able to comprehend and communicate uh, at a professional level. And so having the universities continue that pathway and offering that content in those target languages, heritage languages, super important and imperative. And to that uh to that point, you've pretty much single-handedly helped build the first uh, secondary uh, dual language immersion in Vietnamese, right? Um, uh, and really position the district nationally as a, a leader in uh, Vietnamese language. Could you just share a little bit of, about that story? Yes. So, um, you know, coming from um, one of uh, our sister elementary districts over in Westminster, uh, definitely rolling out Vietnamese there. And then coming here, uh, was really excited to be able to um, lead uh, and be able to come to fruition your vision, uh, the board's vision to offer even more languages. So it was exciting to be able to offer Vietnamese world language uh, in 2018. And then in having some conversations, uh, we talked about what would it look like to offer heritage and is that the smartest thing to do? And then uh, with conversations with Dr. Natalie Tran, our partner, we decided, no, you know what? We should offer dual language, Vietnamese dual language immersion at the secondary level. And 
uh, be the first actually in the nation and lead the way like we do in so many other areas, lead the way in this one particular language and Vietnamese dual language immersion. So although other programs rolled out before us, we are actually the first to offer the secondary Vietnamese dual language immersion. And in order to offer dual language immersion, you have to have two classes at least in that target language. So we knew that the language course would be one. And then we had to kind of sit down and figure out what will be the second one. And we actually asked, we asked um, the community, you know, what is it that you want? And we knew that it was around computer science, coding, cybersecurity. So we have aligned our pathway with that to make sure that our students are actually taking those courses, those content areas that integrate computer science, coding, and cybersecurity in Vietnamese. So it's super exciting that our students are able to do this. Um, and this is really the world of work come to life for our students um, in dual language immersion. And we see this also in GLA with our students taking Spanish um, nursing classes, right? They're able to integrate that vocabulary. So it's very exciting to be the first to offer Vietnamese dual language immersion at the secondary level. We're already up to our third year Super excited, very successful program. Uh, we're excited. To, any student can actually test into the program. So that's something that the public should know is that we do allow students to test in. And uh, we're happy for any students to come to us that are ready to enter the program. And our other dual language immersion programs, our Spanish dual language immersion programs, also integrating that career preparedness systems framework. We see it at Anaheim High School with Dual Language Academy, with the biotech. We have teachers teaching biology in Spanish. So, so excited to see our dual language immersion programs align with those CTE programs and creating greater success for our scholars. You know, there's so many exciting things going on in the department, Renee, and I know I do want to, I'd be remiss if we did not talk a little bit about the, the Language Academy and the uh, support for newcomers, because as you know, um, we're all well aware, uh, Anaheim is a gateway community for immigrants and refugees. Could you share a little bit about the development of our uh, newcomer uh, program? Yeah, so um, I, I, I'm, I'm all about giving credit where credit is due. So this, uh, the Summer Language Academy started before I got to Anaheim Union High School District. It was actually one of the first things that I read about Anaheim Union. I was so impressed with the work that was being done by Cynthia Vasquez-Pettit and Diana Fujimoto and you leading and the board wanting this to happen. You, Anaheim Union was the first district to offer something like this as we had back in 2015-16, an influx of refugees that spoke Arabic, and most districts did not know how to help them. And where I was, we were making sure that we had our designated ELD, our integrated ELD, Rosetta Stone, but we didn't have something like, you know, a Saturday Language Academy or a Summer Language Academy that was specifically targeting helping these students, um, but in a way that honored everything they brought as assets and didn't also made it rigorous and relevant for them. And so, yes, 100 um, percent kudos to Cynthia Vasquez Pettit, Dana Fujimoto leading this effort. And now we're on this is our sixth year um, integrating Summer Language Academy, our second uh, year. No, I take that back. Our third year with Saturday Language Academy. We started out with a pilot before the pandemic, had a virtual Saturday Language Academy last year, and this is our third year now with Saturday Language Academy. And it's 
just so special, right? So we have students uh, speaking all different languages coming together as newcomers uh, with content written by our partners at Cal State University Fullerton that really honors, again, the assets that our students bring, their connection of honoring their identities and their families, but also connecting them to the community and then helping them see what in the community can I affect? So what I'm really excited about this year is we've integrated the, the civic engagement to make sure that our learners who are plurilingual and newcomers can also uh, check off things to make sure they're meeting that criteria for the seal of civic engagement. So not only are we helping them with their plurilingualism, we're helping them feel connected and that they can already in this new environment make a difference in their community. So yes, every set, well, it's about every other Saturday is our Saturday Language Academy. It happens the same time as Saturday Academy. And then uh, once a year, we have our Summer Language Academy where we bring students from all over the district to one site and have an intense four hour, four days a week for one month um, academy for them. It's, it's deep work, Renee, uh, but I'm impressed with the kids themselves sharing the deep friendships that they're making. And you mentioned sort of the affirmation of identity and how important that is to a recent immigrant or refugee kid. And, uh, you know, I think all of us are so proud of, uh, I think the young uh, senior last year, he graduated from Savannah, uh, Vietnamese uh, young man, Trung, who took first place in the Mikva soapbox speeches, talking about, his own identity as a Vietnamese American, as an Asian American in this rise of anti-Asian hate crime. So really powerful, powerful work um, that the district in, under your leadership, uh, Renee, is, is doing. We're almost out of time, but yeah, you have so many hats for the district. But I do want to mention one other thing that you, you do, not only for the district, but for, I guess this is growing throughout the state of California and that's the book clubs that you have. And you have a wide following and so many interesting topics. Could you just share in the few minutes we have left what the book club is all about? Sure. Yeah. So in the pandemic, the leadership book chat was born and it started uh, really around uh, Dolores Lindsay, Dr. Lindsay, Dr. Ariaga, Dr. Stanley. They wrote this book called Leading Well Female. They had this private Facebook group uh, with the same name and uh, said, I, I posted, oh, we should do a book study. And they said, let's do it. We'll be there. So that that's how it was born. And from there, we went, um, we had partners like a National Resource Center for Asian Languages, AXA, um, Galsa, you know, many partners and the partners from Galsa said, well, let's do um, another book, right? So then we did another book. We went into the new Jim Crow. We went into Ready for Anything, Dr. Susan Lovely's book, then uh, went into How Women Rise and then Beyond Conversations About Race. And now we're reading a book um, by two superintendents from Chicago called The Unfinished Leader. But um, yeah, it was really, I think it really met a need for people to be able to um, connect um, during the pandemic and uh, during a time where I think people felt really isolated and during a time of Me Too and um, all of the social unrest that's going on, um, you know, to be able to read some books um, to help us build our capacity um, around 
around some important issues. Um, it's, it's really been meaningful, I think, for a lot of people. So we've had in the course of the whole thing, this year and a half, almost two years, uh, probably about 2000 people go in and out, you know? And so it's interesting to see where it'll go um, as people, I think, are a little pandemic fatigued and virtual meeting fatigued, um, but still people show up and they showed up on Monday. And so very, very exciting. And I'm super passionate about capacity building and super passionate about giving people free opportunities. So it is just a free opportunity for people to connect, to have professional learning and to expand their professional learning network really across the nation. And we've seen people become friends, get promotions, um, connect. It's, it's really great. Thank you for asking. Yeah, I think that's awesome. You were a part of it. You were actually the first uh, male speaker that we had, our first you know, our superintendent speaking for us. So it meant so much to have you there and to leading our mindfulness and leading our important discussions um, around what we have going on here as related to the reading. So thank mm-hmm. you for that. Well, thank you, Renee, for amazing uh, work that you've done for the district, but also and for the kids and for us adults, right? And you talk about connecting and how important that is. And I think that uh, post-pandemic, we all need those connections. So um, thank you so much uh, for this interview. And we look forward to hearing more from you in another one. Uh, Thank you so much, Superintendent Matsuda. Thank you for your leadership. Um, Just you are definitely a mentor and a sponsor for me and for all of the scholars, the 30,000 scholars that exist here in the families. I just want to thank you so, so much for your innovative, innovative and courageous leadership.